The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, I'm not sure that uh, any of us would object to referring to these days that we live in as uncertain days. Uh, Things are constantly changing around us, whether you're talking about politics or economics or personal health. Uh, The past two years have been anything uh, but predictable, Uh, but I'm going to make a prediction for the year 2022, all right? Uh, This is my prediction for the year 2022, and you can quote me on this one. At the end of 2022, the Word of God will still be standing, okay? At the end of 2022, the Word of God will still be standing. I can promise you uh, that what will, I can't promise you what will happen in your personal finances or your health or your family or in the nation that you live in or in the world around you, but I can tell you for certain that this Word is not going anywhere. In uh, Psalm 119 and verse 89, it says, forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. In uh, Psalm 119 and verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. uh, Matthew 5 and verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And in Matthew 24 and verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's Word is the only place where you can find eternal hope and lasting stability, and you would be a fool to try to find it anywhere else. Uh, You cannot find eternal hope and lasting peace anywhere else. Uh, You can't find it in masks or mandates. Uh, You can't find it in jobs or government. Uh, You can't find it in the promise of normal, uh, whatever that means anymore. Uh, You know, it's always like, you know, just a couple weeks away, we'll be back to normal, uh, but we've been saying that for the last two years. Actually, I remember there was a guy that I used to, to work with. I was a contractor for a number of years, and I was working with one of the, the older uh, contractors, and um, uh, his common statement, anytime that uh, the boss would call him up and say, hey, how, how much longer are you going to be on that job? His answer was all, always the same, two more weeks, because he remembered the days when uh, people used to get laid off. So he's always said, I've always got work to do. I've got two more weeks left. Until the boss says, well, I've got another job uh, for you to go to. Well, I think I can be wrapped up maybe in a couple days here. (laughs) But he always wanted to have a job. You know, so it's always two more weeks. And that seems like what the promise is these days. It's always just just a couple more weeks. Just a few more weeks and we'll be wrapped up here. Don't worry about it. The promise of normal just never seems to to be, uh, uh, to arrive, and, uh, uh, but it's something that we can uh, look forward to, not to, to normalcy, but we can look forward to what the, what the scriptures have to say uh, about what we can find stability in, what we can find true hope and peace in. Uh, so why don't you open up your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 14. We're back in Matthew today, and it's my prayer that nobody walks away from here uh, with any doubts about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ himself is offering to us. Uh, The words and the works of Jesus indicated that he was much more than just a prophet or a good teacher or a moral leader. 
And one of the things that, uh, that really amazes me uh, about the Gospels is the stubborn persistence of unbelief. You know, you would think that after all that Jesus demonstrated to his disciples that a, a firm belief and confidence in the Son of God would have come easy. You know, they, they, they've seen so much. Why would they, they doubt who Jesus is? Uh, but Christ still needs to prove himself to his disciples after all that he's done. Uh, you would think that Jesus would be able to address his disciples as uh, those of, of great faith. Oh, you of great faith. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is able to, to say. He constantly refers to his disciples as you of little faith. And it seems that the lessons that he's taught them before are the same lessons that have to be repeated all over again. And at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 14, it's like the, uh, the disciples have been held back a grade uh, and they need to take the same class all over again. But Jesus is a patient teacher. He's a patient teacher. The patience of Christ uh, with his disciples gives us hope that he'll be patient with us as well because there's so many lessons uh, that we also have to learn over and over again. Uh, but let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 14 just to see uh, this lesson that the, uh, the, the Savior teaches uh, his disciples and that he also teaches us as well. Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Uh, why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for uh, this text. Uh, we thank you for the, uh, the kindness of Jesus Christ, the patience of Jesus Christ, uh, in the way that uh, Jesus is patient with his disciples, that he uh, teaches his disciples the same lessons. Uh, Father, that he is uh, uh, one who is a a tender teacher. And Father, we thank you for the way that Jesus tenderly teaches us. And uh, Father, we uh, know that the days that we uh, live in are uncertain. Uh, Father, the days that we live in are, are dark. Uh, many of us would uh, describe the, uh, the, the times as tumultuous, Lord, even, even a storm that we're in. Uh, but Father, we know the one who stills the, the wind and the waves. And uh, Father, we come before him this evening. And I pray that we would find stability and peace and rest in him alone. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. This story in Matthew chapter 14 uh, picks up where Matthew 14 left off. And uh, the verses just before 22 uh, gives us a story uh, that's recorded in every one of the Gospels. Uh, it's the feeding of the, the 5,000, which could, could have easily been called the feeding of the, the 20 to 25,000. Uh, because the number of 5,000 only covered uh, the men who were in this crowd. 
It was a miracle that pointed out the compassion of Jesus Christ uh, as he cared for the multitudes. It points out the deity of Jesus Christ as he created food for them to eat. It uh, demonstrated the sufficiency of Christ as uh, his disciples were able to gather even uh, an abundance after what he was able to give. They, they ate until they, they, they could eat no more. It shows the satisfaction that we have in Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Jesus is the bread of heaven. Uh, this miracle was intended to show the crowds uh, that Jesus himself was the bread from heaven. And if they accepted him, they could find in him satisfaction. They could be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And this miracle impressed the crowd so much uh, that they wanted to take Jesus by force and to crown him as a king. If you actually uh, flip over to John chapter 6, real quick, John chapter 6, take a look at verse 14. Uh, This is uh, uh, the response of the crowds after they uh, witnessed this feeding of the thousands in verse 14 of John chapter 6. It says, therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So what we find here is that they understood that the power uh, that Jesus possessed could feed nations. Uh, They wanted him to to be the the king. Actually, the Old Testament uh, predicted that uh, the reign of the Messiah would look like a lavish banquet that was provided for all peoples. Isaiah 25 and verse 6 says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. It was actually a prediction of the Messiah, the times of the Messiah, uh, that there would be an abundance of food. But instead of Jesus receiving this title of king from the crowd, he turns them away. He turns the crowds away. And then in verse 22, back in Matthew chapter 14, uh, uh, chapter 14 and verse 22, it says he, he also sent the disciples away. So he sends the crowds away, he sends the disciples away, and uh, you, you want to say, you know, hold on a minute, Jesus, isn't this, isn't this what you're looking for? You know, don't you want people to recognize you as the king? All throughout the gospel of Matthew, Matthew's been building a case that Jesus is the true king of, of Israel. And finally, we have thousands of people that are ready to put the crown on him. You know, Jesus, why didn't you accept this? But Jesus explains himself uh, back in John chapter 6 and verses uh, 26 and 27, he explains himself uh, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. These people weren't interested in really recognizing who Jesus was. They were concerned about their physical life, but not their eternal life. They were content to have Jesus fill their stomachs, but not fill their hearts. And Jesus isn't interested in being that kind of king. He didn't come to rule a a kingdom of unconverted people. And uh, that's the same thing that Satan tried to offer to Jesus back in the temptation in Matthew chapter 4. He tried to offer him the kingdom, uh, but it was an unconverted kingdom. An unconverted kingdom. And that's not the kind of kingdom uh, that Christ came to receive unto himself. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from the present evil age. So this crowd is still in the, in the dark. That's not the kind of crowd that Jesus wants to, to rule over. So he sends them away, sends the disciples away. 
Then he uses this word uh, uh, to compel them even by force. Uh, this word that uh, is, uh, speaks about sending them ahead. It's, it's actually a word that means to send by force. It's like, like, like he, he had to, to, to physically almost you know, uh, excuse them from uh, this place that they were, were staying here. They longed for the kingdom. Even the disciples longed for the kingdom. Uh, but they, they really didn't understand uh, what kind of kingdom Jesus was coming to receive unto himself. Caught up in the moment, Jesus sends them away. And he goes off by himself. Look again at verse 22, back in Matthew 14. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. Verse 23, After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. And this is our our first point here. This is God on the mountain. God on the mountain. The text makes a big point about the solitude of Jesus Christ. The disciples are gone. The crowds are gone. He went up by himself. He was there alone. But even though he was alone, he was not really alone because he went up on this mountain to commune with his father. It was God on the mountain with God on the mountain. And here you have Jesus, who is God himself, separating himself to commune with the Father alone. This is is really a a holy and a mysterious kind of communion that's hard to put into words. Because even though God is one, as we learn in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible is also clear that there are three persons within the Godhead. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the, the Holy Spirit. And here you have Jesus getting away onto this mountain by himself in the love and intimacy of his communion with his Father. And we don't know what Jesus was praying, but we can be confident that Jesus prayed for his disciples who didn't yet understand the full impact of who he was, Uh, likely prayed for these crowds who didn't believe in him. And don't forget that Jesus is also uh, uh, here after a time when he found out that John the Baptist had just perished as well. Now, this would have been a ministry to Christ himself as he's up on uh, this mountain. And I really think that there's a great principle that we can take away from this because when we come face to face with, with trials and difficulties, even uh, discouragement, uh, that we can look to uh, find refreshment in God himself. I love what uh, J. Oswald Sanders says in his book on leadership. Uh, he writes, surely if anyone could have sustained life without prayer, it would be the very son of God. But prayer was the dominant feature of his life and a recurring part of his teaching. The consistent pattern that Jesus had was to get away by himself to spend time alone with the Lord. Now, before he chose the 12 disciples, he spent a whole evening in prayer. After hearing about John, he spent a night in prayer. Prior to his crucifixion, he spent a night in prayer. And actually, Luke 5 and verse 16 says that Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And if the Son of God found it so necessary to spend even entire nights in prayer, who are we to think that we can get away without prayer at all? (laughs) Who are we to think that we can uh, get through difficulties, through challenges in our lives, you know, through through times of of storm, through times of uncertainty? How how are we to face those things if we don't seek solitude with the Lord in prayer? I love the song that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If you think you can find retreat in your friends and food and music and entertainment and just being alone, uh, you're not really understanding uh, the kind of resource that's offered to us in prayer and the kind of resources that Jesus Christ 
uh, made available for himself. This was God on the mountain. And what is God on the mountain doing? God's praying. (laughs) You have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh, and he's communing with the Father. That's a lesson for all of us, amen? Number two, we also have God on the sea. Look at verse 24. It says, but the boat was already a long distance from the land. So Jesus is alone, sends the disciples away. The boat's already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Back on the sea, things weren't going so well for the disciples. There's peace and solitude up on the mountain with Christ. And there's terror on the sea with the disciples. Uh, actually, the, the distance uh, that the disciples were to, uh, to traverse from uh, Bethsaida to Gennesaret, uh, where they landed, was only about five miles. Uh, this should have been a short trip. Actually, an average uh, person could paddle three to four miles in an hour if they were in a canoe. And these are 12 men, experienced fishermen, who only have to travel five miles. You can go three to four miles alone. Here's 12 fishermen who can't make it five miles Not in just an hour, but the text says it was already the fourth watch of the night. Uh, The Romans actually divided up the uh, the evening into four different watches, six to nine, uh, nine to 12, 12 to three, and three to six. And the text says this is the fourth watch of the night, which means it's between three and six a.m., this is, this is a long night for these disciples. They've been on the, on the sea for, for hours. This is all happening during the fourth watch of the night. If the disciples uh, set out sometime after sunset, they might have been on the sea for about eight hours fighting with the sea at this point. Uh, the Sea of Galilee was uh, known for quick rising storms that can pounce without a, a warning. A peaceful ride can turn into a life-threatening situation in moments. Uh, actually, uh, R.C. Sproul, and I'm always amazed by how many stories R.C. Sproul can tell, Uh, but R.C. Sproul told the story about a time that he was in in college. He was a college student. He served as a a counselor at a boys' camp in Ohio, and the camp had a lake that was about 1,000 feet long, about 800 feet wide. It was a small lake, but it was big enough for the boys to have a good time. And one afternoon, a violent storm arose, and the alarm system sounded across the, the camp, signaling that all of the children were to assemble in the cafeteria so they could be counted. And after they were counted up, there were two campers that were not present. And finally, they looked out on the lake at the far end of the the lake, and they could see two boys in a canoe that were desperately trying to get out of a storm. But in order to get back to the cabins, they had to go directly in the face of the wind. So here are these two boys in a canoe trying to row against the wind to get back to the cabin. And every time they tried to head up the lake, the the wind blew them right back, and R.C. was in charge of the canoes. So here you have R.C. ran down to the lake, jumped into a canoe. He had no trouble getting to the boys because the the wind took them straight over there. But he had a great problem trying to get them back up the lake, and it took the better part of an hour before he was able to get them back to safety. There was lightning flashing, thunder booming, and they had to labor just as hard as they could to, to just make it 1,000 feet. That's the kind of picture that we have here on the Sea of Galilee. They were straining at the oars in the Mark 
chapter 6 and verse 48 adds, straining at the oars, that they were doing all that they could, straining with all their might to fight against the wind, and they were making no headway at all. Beaten around by the waves, way off course, the boat was already a long distance from the land. It's late, it's dark, sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., and at this point, they're fearing for their lives. But at this point, they should have remembered that we've been here before. <laughs> Why don't you flip back to, to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. This should all sound familiar. Because in Matthew chapter 8, we're introduced to a, a similar situation. Take a look at uh, Matthew 8. Similar situation. We look at uh, verse, verses uh, 16 and 18. Speaks about evening came. There were brought to him many who were demon-possessed, cast the spirits with the word, healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities, carried away our diseases. So you have a crowd of people. Jesus is ministering to them just as he did over in Matthew chapter 14. Drop down to verse 24. Actually, 23. It says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. Same situation. So that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Verse 26, he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Parallels are amazing here. And at this point, as the disciples are fearing for their lives, you might think that, that one of them would have said, you know, hey guys, I, I think that we've, we've experienced a situation like this before. What, what did we do last time that was wrong that we need to do right this time? You, you think that somebody would speak up. Nobody speaks up. Jesus says, why are you afraid and Matthew chapter 8, and uh, it's a real question. You know, I said we're going to the other side of the sea, so what are we doing? We're, we're going to the other side of the sea. <laughs> you know, they, they should have believed in the, in the word of, of Jesus Christ. Who was the one who commanded them? It was Jesus. These men should have trusted the words of their master. And now they're in the very same class all over again. Sometimes I wonder, Personally, even in my own life, you know, do I experience the same things more than one time because I didn't learn the lesson the last time? Like, like why does it seem like I, I keep coming back to, to some of the same trials and difficulties in my life? You know, is it because I haven't really wised up and, and understood what God was trying to teach me? But here you have the, the patient teacher, Jesus Christ, who sends them out into the same situation, similar situation, to make sure that they understand who he is this time around. Back to, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 25. It says, And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. And there's been a liberal critics who've made all kinds of attempts to explain away this miracle. You know, I've heard people say that, you know, Jesus was walking on the shore, but it looked like the sea or Jesus was walking across a sandbar, or maybe it was ice over and Jesus was walking on some ice. You know, actually I've seen some YouTube uh, videos where people put plexiglass, you know, underneath the, the water of the pool and make it look like they're walking across the, the water. But the text plainly says that he was walking on the sea. 
And these experienced fishermen know what the sea looks like. And they're far away from land. That's what the text says, right? They're a long way off from the shore. And from their reaction, they're more terrified of what they saw on the sea than the sea itself. It says uh, here in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. One commentator points out that uh, there was a popular belief that the sea was the home of evil spirits. And even in scripture, the sea is often pictured as, a, as dangerous, tumultuous, unpredictable. You know, evil comes from the sea. So you have these disciples who are already fearful that we're about to die. And now here comes this terrifying figure that they can't make out walking on the sea. And they say, this is it. Here it comes. I mean, the grim reaper, he's walking for us. Like, this is it. We're done. And these grown men and hardened sailors are shrieking in fear. It is a ghost. Actually, the Greek word is phantasma. It's a phantom. But Jesus responds with a a word of of comfort, which at the same time establishes his identity. And I don't want you to, to miss this. When Jesus says, take courage, look at verse 27. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. It's I. Don't be afraid. When Jesus says that, he's also emphasizing his identity. Because Jesus uses the the same word that we find over in uh, John chapter 8, verses 56 to 59, uh, where Jesus refers to himself as ego eimi, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. That's the same way that God identifies himself in Exodus chapter 3. You know, the tetragrammaton, you know, the I am. I am who I am. And here, Jesus is identifying himself as I am. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I am. What's he saying? This is God out here. (laughs) What are you afraid of? (laughs) This is God who is on the sea. He identifies himself as the master of the sea. I don't need a boat because I own the sea. The sea is mine. The sea belongs to me. What, why do I need a boat for? What are you afraid of? This is God who is out here. This is God who's in control. J.C. Ryle says those angry waves that toss the ship of his disciples to and fro obey the Son of God and become a solid floor underneath his feet. That liquid surface which was agitated by the least breath of wind bears up under the feet of the Redeemer. And it reminds us of the Old Testament passages that speak about God walking on the face of the waters. Uh, Psalm 77, verse 19, your way was in the sea, your paths in the mighty waters, your footprints may not be known. Job 9, verse 8 speaks of God who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea. And if the disciples thought back to his control of the winds and the waves that they already witnessed before, it should have given them an understanding who they were in the presence of. Who else can control the sea but Jesus? <laughs> Who else can do this? Of course it's him. Back over in uh, Psalm 107, once you turn there real quick, Psalm 107, we're told about the identity of the one who can control the seas. In uh, Psalm 107, it speaks about the ships that, that do business upon the great waters. Look at verse uh, 24, Psalm 107, look at verse 24. Actually, I'll start at verse 23. It says, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. 
For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then the Lord, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders in the, for the, to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. When Jesus was able to command the, the waves and the winds, the disciples should have put two and two together that this is the same Lord who controls the seas back in Psalm 107. This is, this is God. This is God. Jesus can command the storm to be still, the waves to hush. Why? Because he's the Lord. He's establishing his identity and encouraging the disciples' faith. Encouraging the disciples' faith. Back in Matthew chapter 14 again. At this point, at least one of the disciples takes courage. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Insert foot and mouth. Verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. What was it that made Peter want to get out of the boat and come to Jesus? MacArthur says, at this point, Peter felt safer on the sea with Jesus than in the boat with the disciples. <laughs> it's like, Lord, if, if it's you, I, I'd rather be out there with you. <laughs> if, if it's you, command me to come. But notice that Peter doesn't decide to step out the boat on his own. He says, Lord, if it is you, you, you command me to come. I, I'm not going to jump out the boat on my own. It wouldn't be faith if Peter just decided to jump off the side of the boat. That would be suicide. True faith responds to the commands of Christ. That's what true faith is, responding to the commands of Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of phony false teachers that say we just need to have faith in our faith, you know, just whatever you believe, receive, you know, but that's not the kind of faith that we find in Scripture. Faith responds to the commands of Christ, responds to the words of God. God has never promised us that we'd be healthy or rich or successful in life. Where do you find that in Scripture? You know, that I'll always be well, I'll always be rich, I'll always be successful. That's not a a, a promise from Scripture that we can claim. So what are you claiming? You're claiming your own words. You're not claiming God's words at that point. As Christians, we place our faith in Christ and his word, not our own. And Peter waited for the command. Lord, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29. And he said, come. He said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. We tend to give Peter a hard time, but which one of the disciples can claim this experience? What other disciple got out of the boat? And God temporarily suspended the natural laws of gravity, buoyancy, so that Peter could walk on the water toward Jesus Christ. And as long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he was one of the greatest examples of faith that we have in Scripture. Peter walked on water because he focused his attention on Jesus Christ. It's a great lesson for us. Where where, where are you focused in 2022? (laughs) Do you you have your eyes focused on him? Are you looking at him, looking at his promises? What has God promised to me? Those are the things that I will look to. Are you so busy looking around you at all the things that are up and down and tossed to and fro? And finding, you know, your stability there. Your stability cannot be found in this life. 
Your stability has to be found in something that is unchanging. Look to the word of God. That's why I said before, I can promise you one thing in 2020, 20, uh, 2022, the word of God will still be standing. That's what we can place our faith and hope in. That's where we can find stability. That's what you need to be looking towards. You can't be looking to the circumstances which are going to be constantly changing. Look to the word of God and find your hope and your anchor right there. And as long as Peter kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, Peter walked on water. But for some reason, Peter turns his attention away from the power of Christ and the resources available to him, and he turns to his own resources and finds himself slipping away. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, but could Jesus have stopped the winds and the waves at any time? Of course he could have. As, as soon as Peter got out the boat, he could say, all right, that's enough. We'll just, we'll just make the, the sea calm for you so you can walk out here. You know, thanks, thanks so much for trusting me, Peter. You know, I'll make it easy for you now. Jesus, Jesus could have calmed the waves right then, but he allowed the, the waves to continue to rock. He allowed the winds to continue to blow. This is a test for Peter. <laughs> this is a test. Peter, are you going to trust me? I mean, I commanded you to come. What are you going, going to hope in? Are you going to trust in my word? In fact, Jesus could have stopped the storm from ever rising in the first place. He didn't have to allow it to get this bad. I mean, Jesus knew what was going on from the mountain. I mean, he can see. He's out there on the sea walking on it. He knows what's going on. He knows what his disciples are enduring. He could have stopped it before he got to them. Jesus could have also shown up a lot earlier. <laughs> like I said, it's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, Jesus could have come a lot earlier than now. Why, why make his disciples struggle for eight hours before he shows up? And actually, if you flip over to Mark's gospel, it gives us an interesting detail. Flip over to, to Mark chapter 6. It speaks about the same instance. Mark chapter 6, I'll give you a minute to, to flip over there. But in Mark chapter 6, uh, if you flip over to verse 48, actually I'll start at verse 47 just for the, for the sake of context, but, but this, is, this is hilarious when you think about it. Mark chapter 6, I'll start at verse 47. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars. So Jesus is watching all of this happen. He's watching them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and look what it says, and he intended to pass by them. <laughs> so here they are, struggling for eight hours, fearing for their lives, straining at the oars. Jesus comes out walking on the sea, and he was just going to walk right by. <laughs> walk right on by. It's obvious that Jesus was trying to teach them something. <laughs> obvious. Obvious that Jesus had them in this test for a reason. Jesus intended to come to their aid, uh, but it's not obvious how he intended to do it. And like I said, Mark chapter 6 lets us know that he was intending to walk past them at first, coming just close enough for them to see him and then walk right on by. We don't know all of the details, but we, what we do know is that this was calculated to increase their faith. And even though Jesus could have stopped the winds and the waves at any time, the st storm actually gave them an opportunity to exercise their faith. And the wind blew, the waves continued to rock, Peter is out on the sea, 
and it gives him an opportunity to walk. Think about it. Why should a little wind be a problem if you're walking on the water at this point? <laughs> I mean, what, what are you afraid of the wind for? I mean, like how, how, many, how many fathoms are below me and I'm walking on the water, but now I'm afraid of the wind? It's like, Peter, snap, snap, snap out of it, right? Like, Peter, do you th- think about what's going on here? Do you think that you're the one walking on the water at this point? <laughs> do you think that you're holding yourself up? But now the, the wind is enough to make him lose his balance. It's like, oh my gosh, what? You know, the wind's going to knock me over. You're, you're standing on the water, but now you're afraid of the wind. And even though, like I said, Jesus could have stopped the winds, the waves, he gave the storm an opportunity to give Peter the chance to exercise his faith. J.C. Ryle says, he did not consider that the same Savior who had enabled him to walk one step must be able to hold him up forever. <laughs> And at this moment of weakness, he cries out, but at least he knows who to cry to. What does he say? He says, Lord, save me. One of the shortest prayers you'll find in Scripture. Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. Again, we find the disciples called men of little faith. Little faith. But guess what? They were still men of faith. (laughs) They had a little faith, but they were still men of faith. Peter, at this point, understands that he's sinking, but but he at least knows who to cry out to. Lord, Lord, save me. Lord, my faith is so weak. I feel so unstable. I feel like I'm going to drown. But but Lord, I, I know that even now you can still save me. Lord, save me. Are you going to the Lord? (laughs) Do do you understand that there's only one place to go? Even when you feel unstable? Even when you feel like like life has knocked you down? Anybody feel like that? (laughs) Like, like, Lord, I just feel like I got the wind knocked out of me. Like, what what else do I do? But even if it's a little faith, Lord, it's still faith. (laughs) Lord, save me. Don't, Don't let me drown out here. I feel overwhelmed. Peter turns his attention back to the Lord and he says, Lord, Lord, save me. There's no excuse for for doubt, but we know the one that we can come to when we do doubt. We know where we can bring our our fears to. We know where we can bring our doubts to. We can bring our, our doubts to the Lord. And Jesus, in kindness, verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. There's a lot of miracles that took place here. First of all, you have Jesus walking on the water. That's a miracle. You have Peter walking on the water. That's a miracle. In verse 32, it says, when he got into the boat, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. That's, that's a miracle. Immediately, the, the, the weather changed course. Jesus doesn't even have to speak to the wind and the waves this time. As soon as he steps in, into the boat, the wind knows what to do. You know, time's up. You know, we're going to call it off. You know, the, the waves become still. That's a miracle. And there's another miracle that John records. Actually, uh, flip over to John chapter 6 real quick. John chapter 6. Another miracle that's, uh, that's overlooked often, but in uh, John chapter 6, 
in verse 21, talking about the same account. In verse 21, it says, So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. (laughs) That's a miracle. (laughs) It's like they went through some kind of portal, right, and just showed up on the land. Immediately they were at the land. They were in the middle of the, the sea, straining at the oars, a long way off from the land, and then immediately Jesus gets into the boat, and immediately they're right where they need to be. Another miracle. All these miracles are happening all at the same time. God did the same thing to to Philip, if you remember, you know, just kind of snatching him away, instantly being beamed away. All these miracles taking place, one right after the other. And this time, Jesus looks to the students, and they finally pass the class. What do they say in verse 33? Those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Back in uh, Matthew chapter 8, they asked the question. They said, you know, who, what kind of man is this? Who, who are we in the boat with? They're still asking the questions. You haven't graduated yet. Matthew 14, they, they finally get it. This, this is God's son. Certainly, this is God's son. Congratulations, guys. Finally passed. He's more than a car- carpenter, right? More than a prophet. He's the son of God. That's actually a, a phrase that means equal to God. This is God's son. This is the one who is equal to God. In the Old Testament, the the sons of the prophets were the prophets. The sons of the singers were the singers. The the son of the carpenter was the carpenter. Actually, you have in Matthew uh, 13, Jesus is called the son of the carpenter, but in Mark 6, 3, they just call him the carpenter. The son of is the one who is equal with. That's what Scripture demonstrates. And here when the disciples say that this is God's son, they're saying he is equal to God. This one is equal to God. When Jesus called God his father, he was making God equal. He was saying that he was equal with God. And that's what the disciples are acknowledging here. They're saying, you're you're God's son. You you are God in the flesh. This has removed our doubt. And we worship you as the, the true God, very God of very God. We worship you. Jesus received that worship. Why? Because he understood who he was. He was God on the mountain. He was God on the sea. Now he's God on the shore. And uh, my question for you is, who are you turning to and where are you finding your stability? (laughs) Where are you finding your stability? There's a lot of people who don't really understand where to look to for stability. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't even look to Jesus for stability. They go to Jesus just for their physical needs being met. You know, Jesus will work it out, you know, as long as he can satisfy my needs, that's who I come to. That's not the the way that we come to Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus Christ understanding who he truly is. That's what he wanted from these disciples. I want you to recognize me for who I am. Do you recognize me as the, the God of glory? The Lord of the sea? Is that how you recognize me? And all all these events were leading up to this very point that they would recognize him as God in the flesh. Jesus wants them to recognize who he truly is. You can find your stability in me. What we find on the mountain is that Jesus found his stability in the Father. (laughs) All night in prayer, 
going before the Lord, giving us the example of going before God in prayer that, that, that Lord, even where, when I can't find stability, I, I feel discouraged. I, I know who to come to. I know who to trust in. We find in Peter's life that when he felt overwhelmed, even though he had a little faith, he knew who to turn to. Lord, save me. <laughs> Lord, I, I can't stand on my own. Save me. Is that where you're turning to? Is Jesus the one that you retreat to? Do you find refreshment and comfort in him? Or are you turning to friends, food, music, entertainment, masks, mandates, jobs, government, normalcy? What are you turning to? Are you turning to him saying, Lord, save me? <laughs> Lord, save me? And do you trust in the words of Jesus? Are you, are you holding on to his word? Are you placing faith in your faith or faith in his word? Because true faith places faith and confidence in what God has communicated. Are you placing faith and trust in his word? Like, Lord, you said that we're getting across the, the sea, so I, I guess we're getting across the sea. Because <laughs> that's what you've promised. Lord, you've, you've told me to, to get out of the boat. You've commanded me to come, so I'm, I'm going to get out of the boat. And I'm going to place my faith in, in what you've told me to do. I'm telling you, as a church this year, we've got to place our confidence in what Christ has commanded us. <laughs> That's where we place our, our confidence. That's where we're going to find stability. What has Christ commanded? That's where I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in his word. I'm not going to, going to find my stability in the circumstances of life because they're going to constantly change around me. That's not where I'm going to find an anchor for my soul. My, my anchor is going to be found in Christ. That's what I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust in him and what has he commanded me to do and I'm just going to get busy doing that. And we can do that with confidence because Christ has commanded and who's in charge of it all? Jesus Christ is in charge, right? He's the Lord. He's in charge. He's God in flesh. <laughs> That's who we're trusting in. And I, and I pray for, for all of us in this uh, upcoming year uh, that we'll find our confidence in the Lord and what the Lord has said, what the Lord has communicated uh, to us, and that we would find stability there. Even though we're standing on the water, we can still walk sure-footed because we can walk with the commands of Christ. Amen? Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for your word. We thank you for the stability that we find in our relationship with Christ. Uh, Father, I pray that we would hold, that we'd cling to this word, that we would cling to this book, now, Father, even uh, during the times when we feel so overwhelmed, uh, often so discouraged, uh, Father, when we look at the circumstances of life that are constantly changing, uh, God, it's so easy to become discouraged. Uh, but Father, I pray that we would hold on to you, hold on to your word, uh, that we would know that your word is true, that every man is a liar, but you are true, and that we can trust in you and what you've commanded us to do. And our Father, I pray that we would be busy doing what you have commanded and trusting in your certain word and not placing our faith and, and confidence in the, the sinking sand and the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the deep waters, the, the tumultuous waters of, of man's opinion and advice. My Father, I pray that we would find our, our confidence in you. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr., of Baltimore Bible Church.
To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.